You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Okay, James chapter 3 is where we're going to be tonight. James chapter 3, if you found it, go ahead and stand. And the last time we were here, uh, we were only looked, the last two weeks we looked at this, we were only in verse 13. So uh, we dug into understanding what wisdom is and how we show it. Can anybody, um, can anybody maybe remember uh, the way that we've been defining wisdom to this point? And just see if uh, anybody remembers. I know no one's probably going to say anything. It's applying God's truth to everyday life. That's the way that I've been defining wisdom. And Colin, you get an A+. Good job. And, uh, and so that's been the definition. Applying God's truth to everyday life. And James says, though in verse 13, basically let him show. So uh, the idea is if you want to say you have wisdom... That's one thing, but if you want to prove you have wisdom, do it with your life, how you live. And, uh, and that's how we're going to start the service tonight. But then we're going to contrast two different kinds of wisdom as we go through. So James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying... And strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. That doesn't sound good at all. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Tonight, uh, the title of the message is simply going to be called, Choose Your Ending. And many people believe that life just happens to us. We don't really get to choose how it ends up. But according to James chapter 3, our ending is most heavily determined by which wisdom we choose to live by. We do have a say in how life ends up. And I want to look at that tonight and, uh, and dig into these verses here this evening. But I, I first want to pray, feel like I need to pray tonight, and ask God to help the service and help the message. So let's pray and seek Him. Lord, I uh, come to you tonight humbling myself and asking you to bless this time that we have together. And, and you know that I need it, and I, I think all of us need it. We need to lock in here and, and really dig into what wisdom looks like and where it starts, what it looks like, and where it ends. God, we need this tonight. And I pray that you'd help us not to tune, to tune out or check out. Um, sometimes study feels laborious or we get into the definition of words. And, and that really you know, can, can help us tune out maybe sometimes. And yet, Lord, we need to lock in. I pray that you'd help us and help me, help my spirit, help my comfort level tonight. And just pray that you'd help us this evening to really find what it is that you want us to learn from this text. Pray that you bless the reading of your word and bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I was a kid, there was a series of books called 
Choose Your Own Adventure. How many of you remember Choose Your Own Adventure books? Okay, just a few of us. That's okay. Um, it was a series of books. They were very popular in the 80s. And, and I read this week that in the 80s, that series of books sold over 350 million copies of books. So it was pretty popular. And I remember going to my school library when I was a kid and checking those books out as often as I could and uh, actually checking the same ones out because you could reread them and it was a different experience every time. Um, and uh, because what these books would do is that they would allow you to come to a decision point in the story in which you got to make the choice. And then, they, and then um, for example, one of the books uh, I remember was called Lost on the Amazon. Uh, Miss Judy Jones probably um, could, could relate to this. Lost on, she's done some mission trips down in the Amazon. Lost on the Amazon, and that particular book has 28 different endings. And what happens is you come to a point, you're reading a point to a point in the story, and then you get to a point where maybe you might find, and I'm just throwing this out there as an example, you might find a dangerous looking cave. So you come to the cave, the mouth of the cave, and and, and, and that cave may give you an opportunity to find a clue to solve the mystery, um, but it also might be full of venomous snakes that kill you. So you get to the point where you have to decide, am I going to go into the cave and maybe find a clue, or will I go around the cave and maybe prevent, pre, uh, prevent the danger in my life? Um, and so you come to the point and say, if you want to go in the cave, turn to page 11. Now, if you want to go around the cave, turn to page 18 and pick up there instead. And so as you go through the books and you make different choices before too long, you've kind of skipped around so many times that you can't even remember how to get back to that first choice. But it very often comes down to making the right choice back at the very beginning. And there were, there were two things, though, that you couldn't do with those books. You couldn't read the book straight through. Because that would be very confusing, okay? Um, and, and then you wouldn't know what you missed and you kind of just read along and, and things don't make any sense. I tried it a couple times, it didn't work. Okay, number two, also, you never knew if the decision you were making would lead to death or a good ending. And so, many times, you couldn't predict. And so, what would seem like the right choice in the moment um, might actually become a dangerous option um, and, and what would seem like the safe path would end up being the dangerous choice. So, I mean, every decision was big. I'm telling you, it was intense. That was like the video games back in our day, you know? In some ways, though, a choose-your-own-adventure book was preparing my 10-year-old self for real life because it was helping me feel the weight of every decision that really any decision that you make could lead down a good path or it could lead down a bad path. I mean, now we're kind of in a video game culture where if you make the right, the wrong decision, it's really not a big deal because you can respawn, as the kids say. You die, sure, but you could come right back to life and, and you don't really feel the effects of your decisions. Well, listen, that's not real life. Are you listening tonight? Are you awake? Okay, help me. Help. I need you tonight, okay? 
Um, but what if I told you there's a way to always choose the best ending? Would you be interested in that? Okay. Well, I think we'd all sign up for it. And in many ways, James is giving his readers and us a way to choose the best ending. And he does it by contrasting true wisdom with false, false wisdom. The wisdom that is heavenly, that's true wisdom. But false wisdom is earthly wisdom. And, and I want you to remember the focus of verse 13 is that we show or we prove our wisdom by living a beautiful life that's built on uh, good, good uh, works and a good spirit. That's, that's kind of what we looked at last time. But then the contrast begins. And James gives us then three thoughts about false wisdom. He gives us these thoughts, where it starts, what it looks like, and where it ends. So the marks of false wisdom. So I would encourage you maybe to write these down. Um, it seems like a lot of our, our vocal guys might be out tonight. So some of you guys, if you're not writing these things down, would you say maybe say amen to help me? Okay? All right, there you go. So here's where false wisdom starts. Verse 14, false wisdom it says this, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. So where does false wisdom start? Well, James, James starts, sorry, James, James starts his look at false wisdom by talking about the heart. You know, the heart can produce, Jesus said, the heart can produce both good things and bad things. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 that it's in the heart that belief for salvation begins but Jesus also said that out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses and blasphemies that's why Solomon said keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life you know the heart is like your life's GPS it guides and it directs you. And if someone is being led by a faulty heart, it will be revealed in their life. Verse 14, he says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. And so to explain what bitter envying means, bitter envying, the word bitter means something pointed, something sharp, something pungent. He used that word earlier to talk about water that is, that is, that is not drinkable. The Greek word for envy is where we get is zealos, which is where we get our word jealous and zealous. And the idea that James gives us here is that you have a, somebody with bitter envying has fierce contention with anybody that doesn't serve their purposes. When I was a kid, uh, we used to. I grew up in Wyoming from fifth grade on, and and you know how it is around here. These snow piles would build up. ...over the course of the school year... ...and we would play King of the Hill. Anybody do that on snow piles? You get out there and play King of the Hill... ...and, and there was always one kid... ...and maybe it was just his day... ...and he was up there on top of the hill... ...and anybody that came up to the top of the hill... ...man, he would toss them off like nothing. That's how you play King of the Hill. Now, now he was zealous of his spot. He was... He, if anybody came and, and tried to take over his spot, man, he was like, no, I don't think so, not today. Throw them down the hill. Well, well see, in, in many ways, that's what James says is false wisdom produces in us. Bitter envying and strife. Strife is the word for self-ambition. 
It's connected with those that were running for political office. And so if somebody seeks that kind of power, like a politician, and that kind of influence, that they'll step on whoever gets in their way. And they're standing on top of that hill. And if you get close, they'll take you and throw you right back down the hill. What James is getting to is that bitter envying and self or, or a strife is self-ambition. It's all about self. Don't get near the top of this hill because I live right here. And if you aren't going to serve my purposes, I'm going to throw you right back down the hill where you came from. And he's talking about the self. And what he's saying is that spirit of bitter envying and strife goes completely against the spirit of gentleness that James mentioned back up there in verse 13. He says, verse 14, there's a spirit of bitter envying and strife in your hearts. He says, glory not. And that word for glory means arrogance and boastfulness. Now that describes our culture, doesn't it? I mean, if you watch, watch old football games. I don't know why you would, but maybe go back. Watch old football games. I guess football's on my mind tonight because I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan and we got a lot of Vikings fans in here. I'm not going to tell you what the score was when church started, okay? It was 37 to 3. Okay, so I'm not going to say. Cowboys were winning, okay? Believe it or not. Now, if we go back and watch old football games, and you know when somebody scores a touchdown in an old football game, what I noticed is years ago, what they would do is they would celebrate the touchdown. And they would celebrate by jumping up and down and hugging their teammates. Okay, they're celebrating. They're happy. Now, if somebody makes any play at all that's good, it's like, boom, boom, look at me, you know. There's a difference in the way people celebrate now. It used to be something happy. Now it's like, look at me. I'm king of the hill. It's all about self. You know what that is? That's glorying. It's boasting. And our culture is set up to brag about ourselves because that's what, I mean, social media is set up to say, hey, look what I did today on Twitter, you know, and, and look, at, look, at my, look at what I've accomplished. And, and I'm not saying that all of, of, all of social media is bad, but self-promotion and boasting is a mark of our culture. And you know what James says? If you're a child of God and that's your mentality, he says, lie not against the truth. What he means is, if you're a Christian with bitter words and self-ambition and arrogance and pride and boasting, what he's saying is you are a fraud. Stop lying against the truth. And James is saying, you can say what you want, but there, your life contradicts your words. To be all about self is the opposite of Jesus. And John MacArthur said this, there's nothing um, more characteristic of a fallen, unredeemed man than being dominated by yourself. It all starts right there in the heart. Earthly wisdom in the heart will be revealed through self, through pride, through arrogance. That's where it starts. Here's what it looks like. Look at verse 15. So where it starts, it starts in the heart. But what it looks like, look at verse 15. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. What he says is God's wisdom comes from above. Earthly wisdom comes from below. 
And so he gives three words um, uh, to describe what it looks like. Earthly wisdom means of the world. And see, false wisdom is only concerned with things that men, man can understand or man can theorize or man can discover or accomplish by himself. That, if that doesn't describe uh, modern thinking, for instance, modern science, modern science has no interest in promoting or giving attention or glorying in God. Modern science is all about, look what we can discover. Modern education is the same way. They've left out God completely in the education system. They completely discount faith. They completely discount anything to do with God in their research and in their curriculum. It's all about man. And there's no room for God in modern thinking. Man sits on the throne. Man is king of the mountain. And there's not even room for God up here. This is our reign. This is our domain. Don't even try to knock us off this hill. That's what man thinks. You know, no wonder we have the issues we do. Individualism is the highest virtue. My truth matters to mo- the most. I get to define what, with my, myself what labels are on me. Don't say something I disagree with or you will be canceled. There's no absolute truth. Um, that narcissism pervades everything in our culture from philosophy to education to politics, politics to the workplace. I mean, every dimension of life reflects earthly wisdom. He says it's earthly. He also says it's sensual. Sensual is of the flesh. It's about what the flesh wants. I mean, does that describe our culture? I mean, what feels good in this moment, there's no thought for tomorrow. There's no thought for eternity. It's about appetites. It's about impulses. And it's about feelings. Worldly wisdom tells you to live by your flesh. And it tells you to live by your feelings. And if you make decisions or you base your reactions off what your flesh wants or how you feel, you will not like the ending. And the wisdom that comes from below, that that wisdom that comes from below is earthly and it's sensual. And then he says there it's devilish. This is the devil's wisdom. Satan has influenced the wisdom of this world. He's the ultimate rebel. I mean, he promises big stuff. Uh, We heard this morning from uh, from Brother John Spillman about Satan in 2 Corinthians 2 and uh, be not ignorant of Satan's devices. And, And yet Satan has a way of making big promises, doesn't he? He came to Eve and he said, I'll make you like a God. I will open your eyes and you can be like God. Listen, that's what appeals to mankind. We want to be like God. We want to be our own God. We want to reign at the top of the hill. We want to be king of our own mountain. We want to make the rules. because And when God is removed from the picture, I'm telling you, it leads to terrible, terrible things. I mean, you think about uh, those that have have caused the most heartache in world history. I mean, think back to the 30s and 40s in Adolf Hitler. I mean, Adolf Hitler had a God complex. And you know what he did in Germany? The first thing he did was he said, we want to get God out of this country. 
We want to remove him completely um, from this country. And, and Hitler had a God complex. And, and Kim Jong-un in North Korea has a God complex. They've removed God from this culture. And man tries to be like God. And when man tries to be like God, they, they carry out some unspeakable things. And be careful because we live in a, co- a country that's trying to remove God from the culture completely. Trying to get God out of here. And when God is removed, man does unspeakable things. I mean, you th- talk about these late term abortions or, I mean, birth time abortions. I mean, that's just the start, folks. Sa- uh, satanic, devilish wisdom. I mean, it, right now, listen, the only thing that's holding back that spirit is God's people and the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing standing in the way of, of somebody who wants to really enact their agenda. And when we're taken out of here, that satanic spirit will finally have free reign to be unleashed and do what it wants to the earth. But that's in that spirit of pride and power and control uh, it'll have its way, but that kind of mentality is demonic. And be careful because the situations of life can reveal that hunger for control in us. Because any of us are capable of a God complex. Any of us are capable of trying to be the one always in control, always calling the shots. And, you know, we have to control that conversation have that last word, tear down somebody who's against us. And if that defines you, take a close look because that's not the nature of God. You know, we're all prone to operate according to earthly, sensual, and devilish wisdom. But listen, a child of God isn't going to be able to stay there. And I, I say that because if you have a moment of control and devilish wisdom, uh, but you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be comfortable like that. But understand, if you stay there and you're comfortable, there's some examination in order. So where does it start? It starts in the heart, earthly wisdom. And and, and stay with me because we'll end up in a place that I think you'll understand the application. What does it look like? Well, it looks like sensual, um, earthly, devilish wisdom. Where does it end up? Well, look at verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So James goes back to the heart. Remember, in the heart, he said, it's in the heart where, where um, bitter envying and strife is. And he says where that stuff is, where envying and strife is, it leads to confusion and every evil work. So obviously, these are broad terms, and they cover like a multitude of applications here. But confusion, I just want you to think about confusion. Confusion means disorder. It means instability or a state of confusion. James used the same word in James 1 uh, when he said uh, the double-minded man is, what's the word? Unstable in all his ways. Uh, He used the same word back up in verse 8, look of of our chapter. He said the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly Evil, that's the same Greek word. Again, it means confusion or disorder. And the idea is that there's anywhere where earthly wisdom is is taking place, it always leads to chaos. It always leads to disorder. 
And that should give us a sign that God's not involved in it. Because 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not the author of confusion. He says God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And if God is not a God of of confusion and disorder, then then we should take note if we have his people, uh, as his people are supposed to reflect him, if we are people of disorder, if we are people of confusion. See, listen, where there is disunity and disharmony and a lack of peace and missing love, that's when you know that earthly Oh, false wisdom is in charge. See, the world is full of confusion. It's, it's, it's full of disorder. It's full of chaos. And God's people ought not be. It shouldn't be that way in our churches. It shouldn't be that way in our homes. And James says every evil work. It, it, basically, the idea is anything evil that you can think of comes from human wisdom. And the idea is that nothing of any ultimate good results from human wisdom. And if a person professes to be a child of God, but their life reflects bitterness, or their life is full of envy, their life is, is full, or their interactions are full of self-ambition, if there's boasting and, and their, their life is based on flesh and they're led by their feelings and power and control then they are lying against the truth. They're one thing, but their life, they say they're one thing, but their life shows another. And what James is saying, and I want you to hear this. What James is saying is that profession of salvation, in that case, if you make a profession of salvation, but your life is full of confusion and bitterness and envy and self-ambition and pride and strife, what he's saying is that profession of faith is false. And I know that's heavy. I know you might say, well, that's pretty judgmental for you to say that. I'm not the one saying that. James is saying, if that is your life, you are lying against the truth. And he says it's time for an examination. And if these words, listen, if these words describe you, then at the very least you're being led by false wisdom. But at the very worst, then you need a genuine salvation experience. That's James's message. You might say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, let's do the same thing with true wisdom and wisdom from above. Because he does. So again, what he's told us, he says, let me give you an idea of what wisdom from below is like. Here's where it starts. It starts in the heart. Here's what it looks like. It looks like bitter envying and strife. And here's where it leads. It leads to chaos and confusion and disorder. But he doesn't stop there. He actually goes on to reveal the same truths or the same process about true wisdom. He gives us where it starts, what it looks like, and where it ends. So now he goes to true wisdom. Look at verse 17. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So he starts, by, he starts talking about true wisdom. 
And he's talking about now wisdom from above, wisdom that is from God, wisdom that is made available to everybody that is a believer who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do you know that if you want, you can have the wisdom of God if you're a child of God. And remember our definition. I'll I'll let you do it again. Uh, Our definition of wisdom, again, um, somebody from this side, what is it? Applying what? Applying, Applying God's truth to everyday life. Let me just remind you what Jesus said in, in, uh, uh, in Matthew. He said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house, which built his house upon a rock. You know what Jesus is saying right there? Jesus said, If you hear truth and apply it, I will call you a wise man. Now, how many of you in here want Jesus to call you wise? Okay, I think pretty much everybody that's listening would raise their hand. Jesus will call you wise if you will hear his sayings and you will apply them to your life. If you will do them, Jesus said, I'll call you wise. So that's the true wisdom that James is talking about. Where does that start? Well, look at verse 17 in the the first part. He says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Pure. And pure means clean. It means free from defilement. And what he's saying is when you follow God's wisdom, it will make you free from defilement. But really, it starts in a pure heart. What does Jesus say in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount about those that are pure in heart? Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. David said in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. See, true heavenly wisdom from above is cultivated in a heart that is free from sin. And listen, if you want God's wisdom, if you want to be led by the wisdom from above, the Bible says you need a pure heart. You need a heart that is clean. Uh, You must have a A heart that's clean if God's wisdom is going to be cultivated in your heart. And we know what he means, that, that, that that a heart that's pure is the start of wisdom... Because look, what he, look how he says it. He says that true wisdom from above starts in a, in a heart that is pure. It's first pure, then it's peaceable. And that word then, that adverb, uh, is, is a con- that connecting term that basically, it, in the language, that, that in the Greek language, it means that if you have a heart that's pure, that's where, that's where wisdom starts then all of these other things can take place. So let me just say this. If you, want a, if you want God's wisdom in your life, then you've got to be right with God. It starts with a pure heart. It starts with a clean heart. And so we, we sometimes think that, you know, we can have God's wisdom if we just do what God says. But God is not going to give his wisdom to somebody who doesn't have their sin confessed. It starts with a pure heart. It starts in our heart. Then all of these other things can happen. So it's, where does wisdom's true wisdom start? It starts in a heart, heart of purity. Well, what does it look like? Well, then he gives us this list. And this list is, is pretty incredible. 
he says, for but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. That sounds a little bit like the Sermon on the Mount too, doesn't it? Um, blessed are the peacemakers. See, it, it sounds also a lot like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, and peace. See, here's the thing. Somebody with true wisdom is at peace with the people around them. And I hope that, that you're listening to this tonight because we're about to get to the application. And, and if you miss the application, then, then what's the point? See, see, if there's conflict in your home, if there's conflict, men, with your family, if there's conflict with the people that you work around, then that is a revealer of whose wisdom you live by. And I know that's hard to hear, but I've known people, and I've known people that are at conflict or at odds with everybody around them. At work, they're at odds. At home, there's conflict. At church, there's not peace. And yet you talk to them, and that person says, man, everybody around me has a real problem. Listen, I've been there before. I mean, I like the, the guy that walks around and says the whole world stinks and he has a chunk of Limburger cheese in his mustache. The problem is not the people at work. And it's not the people in your house. And it's not the people at church. The problem is with you. Because somebody who truly operates by God's wisdom is at peace with the people around them. If there's conflict around you, then, then it points to whose wisdom you're following. Because somebody with wisdom, with true wisdom, will have peace. He says also this, it's first peaceable, it's gentle. I think men need to hear this word, gentle. Sometimes men, we can be bulls in a china closet, and what our family needs is a, is a gentle man. Needs somebody that, that exercises gentleness. A, a person who lives by godly wisdom will be gentle with others. This shows up in our words and in our responses. He says it's first peaceable, then it's gentle. And I, we, we could spend lots of time on all these. We're not going to. It's gentle. It says, he says it's easy to be entreated. That means reasonable. See, that, that a person is, this person is willing to yield without making a big fight of it. And this sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount trait that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and the implication is somebody that's in the military who's willing to comply with any command they're given. They're compliant. And are you compliant? Uh, do you make everything a big deal? Uh, you know people like that. I've been like that when I'm not in a good mood and people try to tell me what to do. I, I mean, there's no reason for me not to comply. I just want to make it hard on them. I mean, you, you probably have, some of you, if you have children, you've got children like that. There's no reason not to obey. They just don't want to obey. If you've ever been a teacher in a classroom, you've had young students like that. There's no reason for them not to be compliant. They're just not compliant. Well, the Bible says easy to be entreated means somebody who's reasonable and they're not going to make a big deal of everything. Listen, I think we should examine that in our lives. Are you reasonable when something gets asked of you that's really not too much to ask? He says it's first peaceable, 
then gentle, easy to be entreated. Then he says, full of mercy. Blessed, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall have mercy. I mean, are, are you willing to forgive? I mean, are we, are we willing to have compassion on those that have needs around us? Uh, are we willing to support those that need assistance? Because that's the mark of somebody that operates with God's wisdom. Look, what else does he say? He says, full of mercy and good fruits. You know, this counters the phrase, every evil work, up there in verse 16. See, every evil work, the implication was, anything bad, if, it, if, if anything bad at all, can only come from earthly wisdom. And when he says, full of good fruits, what he's saying is, anything good at all has to come from God's wisdom. Are you a person that bears good fruit in your life? Are you full of good fruit? Is the Holy Spirit producing something good in you? Uh, because that's the only way out of, out of this soil. I'm just saying, the only way out of this soil, that, because I know myself, the only way something good can come out of a life like mine is because the Holy Spirit produced it. When you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit, it produces good fruit. And look what else he says. Uh, uh, true wisdom is without partiality. We already looked at this. Basically, though, this means, though, if you look at it at its core, it means without inconsistency. In other words, a Christian that operates by God's wisdom is consistent. Not up and down. Not left and right. Consistency. You know what will be the mark of a, of a child of God that is, that is full of good wisdom? Is that you know what to expect every time you talk to them. And I know how it can be. Sometimes, man, you don't, we feel like this, don't we? Up and down. There's, I, gave, I made it easy on Miss Sandy. She's over there going. We can be like this. You know, if you're a child of God with, with good wisdom... Uh, then, then people ought to know what to expect when they come talk to you. When they come in your office, they know, hey, you boys right here, you boys right here, you need to pay attention tonight. Okay, you're messing around. Don't, you don't be messing around. Okay, you need to be consistent, though. Consistency. Now, don't be up and down. Don't be wavering. In, in that when somebody comes in your office, they know what kind of spirit you're going to have. When somebody, when somebody comes and asks you for advice, they know what kind of advice you're going to give them. Uh, we need to be consistent as God's people. Because without impartiality, that may, means that we're, not, that we're without inconsistency. That we're consistent on a daily basis. If you're consistent, that's a result of God's wisdom. He also says without hypocrisy. And, and that this is important in that someone dependent on God's system is real and genuine. They don't have to pretend to have fruit of the Spirit. It's just there. Hypocrisy was the target of Jesus' reproof so often. I mean, four times he talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to be genuine without hypocrisy... Apply God's wisdom to your life. If you want to lie against the truth and be a fraudulent Christian, follow earthly wisdom. The choice is yours. So where does true wisdom end? Look at verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You know what that means? A person who sows true wisdom in his life will produce righteousness and peace. The connection is this. If you operate by wisdom from above, it'll produce peace in your life. Kind of like if you follow the speed limit, 
I mean, you know how that is. People that don't follow the speed limit. Actually, this happens to everybody. People, people drivers. Okay, drivers, natural drivers. Anybody. If you see lights, if you see a police car, what do you do? You, you, you step on your brakes. Um, because you probably have been used to driving too fast. And so you're going to step on the brakes. Listen, if you follow the speed limit, you won't get pulled over. And if you don't get pulled over, you don't get a ticket. And if you don't get a ticket, you don't have anything to hide from your wife. <laughs> so you see how making the right decision way back here led to peace way over here. Kids, listen, if you obey your parents, you won't be caught doing something you shouldn't be doing. And if you're not caught doing something you shouldn't be doing, you won't get in trouble. And it all started way back here by choosing to follow God's wisdom. And if you follow God's wisdom, you don't get in trouble. And if you don't get in trouble, it doesn't lead to chaos in your life. And so we're, we're wrapping it up, but, but this is very important application that I want you to get. See, think about the contrast. Earthly wisdom results in chaos. Heavenly wisdom results in peace. So let me ask you, which one do you prefer? See, for some of us, life is chaos. Your relationships are volatile. Your finances are out of control. The kids are not disciplined. There's no schedule. There's no structure. You simply live by reacting. And if someone does something that you don't like, there's no control over your response. Yet you feel like you have to control everything. And if anything doesn't go your way, then you're going to blow up about that. But for the child of God who operates by wisdom from below, life is full of confusion. On the other hand, for the child of God that operates with God's wisdom, wisdom from above, the result of life is peace. And I'm not saying it's perfect, but when things go wrong, it doesn't have to ruin your whole day. You get along with the people at work and the people at church. And, you're, and you, it's not perfect, but there's some structure and there's some discipline and you can allow for things to change. It doesn't have to destroy your whole week if something doesn't meet your expectations. And there's actually, if, there, if you're over here operating by God's wisdom, there's actually fruit of the Spirit. There's righteousness. And righteousness results in peace because if you're doing right, you don't have to be afraid of getting caught. And so, I mean, I just want to illustrate this tonight in, in a simple way. You've got, you've got two kinds of wisdom. You've got wisdom from above and you've got wisdom from below so I'm naturally I'm going to put wisdom from below way down here and wisdom from above and obviously clearly I think we understand these things represent God's wisdom it comes from above this represents earthly wisdom and it comes from below it comes up it's earthly it's sensual it's devilish it creates chaos and disorder, but this up here creates in us righteousness, which produces peace. And so when I choose, when I choose to operate with wisdom from below, and I kind of reach down into the mud to, to, to base my decisions, I reach down here in wisdom from below, and what happens is, so I pull this out, it says, 
my boss corrects me and I get defensive. Yeah, I don't know, defensiveness is such a problem. And it's really a problem for people that operate by earthly wisdom. My, my boss corrects me and I get defensive. Which means I get an official reprimand and create tension at work. Not operating by God's wisdom, operating by earthly wisdom. What did it lead to? Peace or chaos? It leads to chaos every single time. But if, if I operate by wisdom from above, I reach into here, I come up for it, I look up for it. And someone wrongs me. But I want to be full of mercy. And I remember that God forgave me. So I forgive them. What's the result of that? Is it chaos or peace? It's peace. So, but then down here, I find myself reaching down into the mud to, to uh, find wisdom from below again. And this is maybe personal. My wife forgets to pay a bill. We have to pay a late charge. I respond by getting upset and saying things I regret. Now I'm sleeping on the couch. <laughs> Is that chaos or peace? Chaos. Disorder. When I operate by man's wisdom, by earthly wisdom, by wisdom from below, it always leads to disorder. So, but when I operate by wisdom from above... Then the scenario I find here is I decide to become consistent in my Bible reading and my church attendance. What are you doing on a daily basis? You're seeking God's wisdom. And I find that it produces a peace I've never had before, both internally and with the people around me. Is that peace or chaos? It's peace. But then you find yourself again reaching down into the mud to try to figure out how to operate in your life and someone cuts me off in traffic. I speed up to cut them off back. Because that is the way to win an argument with a 4,000 pound weapon, okay? I speed up, up to cut them off back and I have a fender bender. You ever had a fender bender? When you have a fender bender and you get in a minor wreck, I know it's not a big deal, but does it feel like chaos or does it feel like peace? It feels like chaos. And basically it ruins your whole day. Now, though I have a moment of clarity and I come back up here and, and I reach into wisdom from above and up here my kids are being disobedient. See, that's the thing about wisdom from above. It doesn't mean your life is easy and perfect. Things still happen. It just changes the way you respond to the things that happen. My kids are being disobedient. But I choose to practice gentleness as I discipline them. And it's amazing how that soft answer turns their hearts. We'd find that gentleness 
in our child rearing would make a difference in the spirits of our children. I mean, so tell me, if your hearts, your children's hearts are turned toward you, is that peaceful or is that chaotic? It's peaceful. It's a good thing. So you come down and you reach down into wisdom from below. I could do this all night. Hope you're understanding. You're getting it. I disobey. This is for the kids. I disobey mom and dad's rule not to be on the Xbox more than 30 minutes. Mom and dad put the Xbox up for a month. How dare they? Would you say, kids, only the kids, if you're 16 and under, you can answer. Would you say that is creating chaos in your home, or something, neg or something negative, or is it creating something positive? Is that peace? Well, it may be peace for mom and dad, but for you, that's not something you want, is it? So, so when you disobey, does it create something negative or positive? It's negative. So you're talking about you're inserting chaos into your home when there should be peace. You have a big role to play, kids, in the kind of home that you have. If you would simply obey your parents, you could impact your, your, take your home from being chaotic to peaceful. So then we have this one. We've got a couple more. Wisdom from above. I found out my job is changing. Again, wisdom from above doesn't make everything great. But I find out my job is changing. My hours are changing. My position is changing. And now I'm taking a pay cut. But my security is in my relationship with Christ. So I don't have to worry about it. Is that peace or chaos? Now, I've known people, and you probably have too, maybe you've been there before, something like that happens to them and their whole world falls apart. But when you and Christ are, are right, it doesn't have to destroy you because you're operating by wisdom from above. Wisdom from below, this is the last one for this. Wisdom from below, though, is someone gets onto my kids. This is, a, this is a touchy subject, okay? Someone gets on to my kids for, I'm going to use running at church because it's something we could all work on. I mean, we don't all run in church, I mean, but the kids do. And we need to work on it. Someone gets on to my kids for running at church. So I stop talking to them. So they ask me about it. And it turns into an argument. You say, well, that would never happen here. Oh, that stuff happens all the time. And so if you're operating by wisdom from below, you're going to respond to somebody getting onto your kids a certain way. And if you respond a certain way with defensiveness or anger, is that going to lead to chaos or is it going to lead to peace in a church? It's going to lead to chaos. So one more. Hopefully this is a positive. Wisdom from above, you, you reach into this and, and it, the path, okay, this is, I mean, I don't know, I didn't mean to end on this, it was random, okay. The pastor makes a change I don't necessarily like. Okay, so, I mean, that happens. Don't agree with everything the pastor does. I don't know if I agree with everything the pastor does. She does what she wants, I mean, so... 
I'm going to pay for that one. Okay. <laughs> the pastor makes a change I don't necessarily like. But it's not about me. So I roll with it because I'm easy to be entreated. Meaning I'm reasonable. And it turns out that what I was so upset about happened to be not a big deal after all. I mean, because changes are going to happen. And things are going to be reordered. There are going to be things that you don't agree with, don't necessarily like. But if it's not a matter of doctrine or a matter of scripture, um, and the Bible says be easy to be entreated, to be reasonable about things and not to make everything a big deal or everything hard, then, then if you're going to operate by wisdom from above, then, then just choose to be easy to be entreated. And you know what? I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to, be choose, I'm going to choose to be easy to be entreated too. There are things that I may not agree with or maybe and that I don't necessarily think, well, I don't know if that's a great decision or, or maybe I get some pushback on something. And you know what? I'm going to assume, uh, I'm not always going to assume that I'm right either and if you'll do the same thing I think we could probably get along pretty well but if but that's the kind of church if that's the kind of church that we have where we're reasonable and we're operating according to God's wisdom and it's not all about self and I'm not playing king of the mountain and I'm not up here trying to defend my territory all the time and you're not doing the same thing it, it, will that lead to a church that operates with chaos or operates with peace I think we're going to find a peaceful church family. But it all depends on which bowl we're reaching for. Because if we're reaching for the wisdom from below, we might not like the result. But if we're reaching for the bowl, the wisdom from above, I think we're going to enjoy the peace that comes from that. It just depends on which source you're drawing from. So let's go back to the opening illustration that we're done. Choose your own adventure. Choose your ending. I mean, I, I remember one time checking one of those books out and I took it home and started reading it and it came down to their first choice and somebody had put a little star next to one of the endings. Like, hmm. So I followed that ending. Sure enough, it took me to another one. There was another star at the next choice. So I followed that star. And all the way through, some little cheater had gone through and marked the path to the best ending, to where everything worked out for me. And I got through the first time and found the best ending. And you say, man, I wish life was like that. But life kind of is like that. In that when you get to a choice, if you will stop reacting and stop seeking, you know, to protect your feelings and stop um, just following the impulses of your flesh and you will seek God's wisdom instead I'm telling you it's like a little star along the way it says I will take you to your best ending if you will just follow my wisdom that's what God says if you'll diligently seek wisdom and you'll pray for it and you'll seek God's word and you'll apply God's word to everyday life and you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you'll learn from the wise people around you you know what? God is going to give you the best ending. Peace instead of chaos. Righteousness instead of sin. Truth instead of lies. And you may think life just happens to you, but it doesn't. You actually have a choice.
The ending is up to you. And I'm telling you, I would much rather have an ending of peace than an ending full of chaos. And it all comes down to whose wisdom I'm following. Wisdom from below leads to chaos. Wisdom from above leads to peace. Which one do you want? Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Whose wisdom have you been operating by? I mean, put yourself in these life scenarios. Have you been reacting according to God's wisdom or have you been following the wisdom that the world says is the kind of wisdom you need? I think we probably all could use an examination because we're all prone to respond according to the fleshly wisdom. And yet the best ending is responding according to God's wisdom. If you want an ending of peace, then right now determine, in every choice I make, I'm going to seek God's wisdom. Father. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.